Hello and welcome to the MISEM podcast in which we talk to MISEM members about their recent or ongoing research into medieval Central Europe. I'm Karen Culver and it is my pleasure today to meet with Robert Antonin to talk about his work on rituals, the legitimacy of rulership and their importance in building social cohesion. Robert is an associate professor in medieval history at the Department of History and the Faculty of Arts at the University of Ostrava in the Czech Republic, where he's also been dean since 2018. His long-term research interests focus on the political, social, economic, and cultural development of Central Europe during the High Middle Ages, and on topics related to the limits of interpretation of medieval historiography. He is an author of several monographs, including The Ideal Ruler in Medieval Bohemia, published by Brill, 2017, numerous research articles on medieval history, and is the main editor of the collective monograph, The Fourth Lateran Council in the Czech Lands in 13th and 14th century, published by Prague in 2020. When he's not being a serious academic historian, he plays the guitar in a punk metal band and joins LARP battles as one of the members of the dreaded Orc Kudul Sark. Robert, welcome to the MISEM podcast. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, that kind invitation and introduction. I'm honored to join uh, the MISEM podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I know you have done much work on the visualization of rulership through ritual and ceremony in medieval Bohemia. What sort of rituals were important and how did the performance of rituals and ceremonies legitimize a king's rule? And do you have any thoughts on the cost benefit of those rituals for the rulers and the ruled? not only in terms of finance, but also personal comfort or discomfort. I bring that up because you mentioned in your paper, Adventus Regis, the arriving monarch having to stand in a cold church for several hours after a long journey, which seems like pretty hard to me. Well, um, the question of the role of rituals and ceremonies in medieval society is extremely interesting and complex at the same time. Complex in the sense that if you try to answer it, you are necessarily describing the internal setting of society as such. Modern research seems to agree that to rule in the medieval ages means to be seen. The power of the medieval ruler was performative in nature. And yes, the rulers' uh, rituals or rituals of power or participation in ceremonies of various kinds legitimized not only the power of the ruler, but the rightness of the order of things and the way the world worked. We must not forget that in medieval society, we see no line between the profane and the sacral of the ruler's ritual. For the ruler had power raised in him by God. The ruler's action mirrored the order of the world. Regardless of the cost in financial terms, 
or the personal discomfort of the rulers and their families without the visualization of power, power faded away. Of course, it often led to inglorious, sometimes tragic ends. Well, for example, in 1297, the Bohemian queen died of a postpartum infections after she had to go through several days program, including a ceremony of coronation and festivities with her husband, Wenceslas II. At other times, we heard the voice of contemporary critics of King Wenceslav IV of Bohemia, who is said to have wept and pooped on the altar at his coronation as a two-year-old child. Of course, a skeptical critic would write, point out that medieval sources are dominated by information about rulers, rulers' actions and activities, that describe precisely and only the ritual actions of rulers, and thus our picture of the medieval world and the role of ritual in it is necessarily distorted. Certainly, when discussing chronicles, we must always bear in mind that acting characters in literary cliches that fit their genre. But uh, I believe that these cliches are discursive in nature, and that they overlap with the shared idea of how a ruler should act in society. This is also why the monarch, in order to be recognized as a monarch, had to play expect social roles, for they established the legitimacy of his power. Hmm. Yes, I would just want to pick up what you were saying about the almost godlike nature of the rulers. You say they were gods, even though one of them pooped on the altar during his coronation, but at the age of two years old, it's not really surprised. Did he really? Uh, well, yeah, I think it could happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such wonderful. Because, you know, uh, for his father, Charles IV, it was really necessary to have his son coronated because of the succession line and so on and so on. And he arranged this all uh, ceremony when he was really, really little, little boy. And the, the rumor is that there was a baker and he saw how this young, uh, a young boy cried and did everything I said. <laughs> and uh, he gave him a piece of, of, of bread to not cry. And after he got this meal, he stopped crying and uh, the ceremony went on. So but I think it, we can say that it has uh, shown us how important the symbolic role of ceremonies for these people were or was. Yeah. And it, of course, has connection to the fact that in medieval period, the king or the ruler, he was made by God, you know. So the legitimacy, the, the first step of the legitimacy of the power was that you are the king because of God. And of course, a very important part in this played also church, because without the church, which provides all, you know, all this sacral part of coronation, it cannot happen, never. So the medieval king in his personality or in the institution of medieval king, the profane and the sacred powers were uh, put together. Uh, 
And that was the first part of his legitimacy. And then there are other parts of his legitimacy, uh, which has to be seen in his behavior. And, well, maybe we can speak about it later. Yeah, yeah. In your current research, having read the research proposal, um, you state, and I quote from the proposal, the ruler's propaganda and the visual representation of royal power are among the few direct pieces of evidence showing how the ideal of government was transmitted and shared across different social groups and classes. Apart from the performance of ritual, profane and sacred, as you have just described, are there other visualizations of power that show how the ideal of legitimate rulership was transmitted within the ruled area and perhaps even outside the ruled area? Well, um, for example, coins were, of course, very important for economy and this stuff, yeah, of course. But if you see what on these uh, coins is depicted, for example, in in uh, Bohemian or Moravian territory, uh, we have a long tradition where on the other side of the coin uh, were depicted the ruler who were ruling in actual time. And on the reverse side of the coin, there were various depiction of signs, especially of San Wenceslas. And San Wenceslas became uh, in the 11th and 12th century the never-dying, the eternal uh, ruler of Bohemia. Yeah? And uh, he was like a bridge between the god and between the actual ruled duke or king. Of course, this uh, kind of depicting of uh, actual ruling dukes and kings and the eternal uh, duke, San Wenceslas, it has a big symbolic value as well. If you use it, the coin, and you can see who is there connected with the eternal ruler of Bohemian lands, it gives you a message. Yeah? So uh, this is also a kind uh, how to create, uh, let's say, the ruler propaganda. Not only the thing of, of, of the economy, it's also think of, of, of propaganda. And then, of course, dukes and kings supported the art, I mean the fine art, with all depiction of not only their self, but especially uh, in churches or in books, they were depicted uh, together with uh, Christian motives uh, and so on and so on. So it also played a very important role. We were talking about coronation or coronations, uh, like one of the very, very important ritual, of course, because in this ritual in this time, the kings were blessed by God. Yeah. But uh, I think uh, the most important uh, ritual uh, of uh, visualization of uh, rural power is uh, so-called Adventus Regis. When, when, the, when the ruler first come to the town, it couldn't be or it, it wasn't to be necessary to be his residential town. But we can see in, uh, in sources from Bohemia and from Moravia that uh, at the beginning of their rule, 
especially the last Chemisleet, First Luxembourgs, they went through the country and they visited important places. And they were welcoming in cities or in towns. And it has also the form of special ritual and ceremony. And you can see there the structures of society, how they how, how the, the, the various strata of society joined the ceremony. Yeah? And you can also see the king as an acting ruler, overtaking the keys from the uh, city gates, then gave these keys back to the city council or to the mayor or not, it depended. Yeah? And uh, then, of course, there were also the church people, clergy, There were a lot of uh, singing uh, and welcoming speeches. Then they uh, went through the town to the most important uh, church in the town. They joined the celebration uh, and then they uh, went uh, to the house where they stayed. And uh, there were a lot of incoming uh, visitors who came for their privileges and so on, so on, so on. So it, it was like like spectacle, like um, let's say a total social act, if we would like to to call it in sociologist terminology. Yeah. So this, and then the funeral, of course. The funeral of the king was also, especially in the 14th century in Bohemian lands, if I can to speak from my own research. So the, the funeral of uh, Wenzel II or the funeral of Charles IV, These also are very important ceremonial and ritual events with impact on a broad society. Yes, and I suppose at the funeral, you're taking that godlike status of the ruler who's just died and effectively passing it on to the next ruler. Yeah, yeah. Although, uh, although... <laughs> In the funeral of Charles IV, the role of the Wenzels IV uh, wasn't so uh, highlighted. Yeah, it, it's quite uh, interesting. And uh, I think, and not only only me, but for example, Franciszek Schmachel, who wrote uh, a lot to this topic uh, of this funeral and others, it, it seems to be very good planned by uh, Charles IV. And also after his death, he wanted to be the best. You know, he wanted to be the idol ruler, and I think uh, he succeeded because for Czech national narrative, he, I mean Karl IV, is still one of the best known medieval kings. I think the best known medieval king in, let's say, common society, yeah? not only among scholars, and he won. This competition, Charles the uh, Fourth was voted the best Czech ever in 2009. It was yeah. the only one who beat Charles the the Fourth was Janot Zimmerman. But uh, I don't know how you are familiar with Czech culture in that way. But Janot Zimmerman is uh, an imaginative uh, figure. He, he never lived, but who knows. And well, it also show, it also uh, shown that Czech people they have a really very very specific sense of humor. 
Yeah, because they voted for Zimmermann, and on the second, <laughs> on the second place was the Charles the the, the fourth. But uh, Zimmermann never lived. But maybe uh, no one knows. So uh, Charles won, and he won because he worked. I mean Charles the fourth. He worked very precisely. He worked with uh, the idol of the ruler of his time. And he worked with it in his propaganda. Uh, he rewrote chronicles. He wrote his own Vita Caroli regarding and describing himself regarding this ideal. He describing all his deeds regarding this ideal. And that's why we see him only in the way he, he wanted us to see him. Hmm. And that's the typical thing for medieval chronicles. Uh, that's the typical thing for Charles, but also for the others. Yeah. Robert, in your research proposal, you say a lot of work has been done on the causes of social collapse, but very little into what could prevent or mitigate social collapse. Could you therefore define what is meant by social collapse and the lack of social collapse, particularly in the medieval world, and how this relates to the legitimacy of rulership. As you already told, there was written quite a lot on this issue, especially by Joseph Teintner or Jared Diamond and others. Social collapse, or also known as civilization collapse, is the fall of a complex human society characterized by the loss of cultural identity and of socio-economic complexity, like a downfall of government and the rise of uh, violence. Yeah. Well, possible causes of a social collapse include natural catastrophe, war, pestilence, famine, and so on and so on. All the researchers were focusing on these causes. What caused the social collapse? What aspect of situation uh, in society led to collapses in ancient Greek, in Rome, uh, I mean ancient Rome, uh, Maya civilization, and so on and so on. And uh, they didn't, from my perspective, they didn't highlight that to be resilient, I mean, the, 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 to have the resilient society means to have government which has very, very strong legitimacy. Because the legitimacy of the government leads, and I think will lead, to overlap of uh, these collapses. Maybe we cannot stop collapses like that because we are still in some circles. I think, like I, I mean, the social development moves in circles, but uh, we can work much, much better with this uh, attribute of collapse if we have government with a full legitimacy. And uh, to have the legitimacy in a medieval world meant to act with or regarding the shared ideal of rural. Yeah. And this ideal of ruler was like model, which was part 
not only of the education books called princely mirrors, but it was also somehow involved in describing the rulers in chronicles. It was also involved in arengas of uh, charters. Of course, there is question if we are speaking about literature only, or if the literature or the ideal has or had its impact on society, society as such. And well, I, I think that this um, ideal is not only one of the cliches, but somehow it's connected to real life. Because, and now I come back to the things we were discussing, because to be a ruler meant act like a ruler. And uh, within these rituals and ceremonies we were speaking about, the rulers acted like ideal rulers. Yeah? So it's performative, it's part of everyday lives, and uh, it has its impact on society. And if you have legitimacy, you can make some steps which are not popular, but which the society need or needs to survive. Yeah. And I think if you have this legitimacy and if you fulfill your rule with big story, if you explain to the population what you are going to do, and if they know why you do things you do, then also the social collapses could be much more better handled than without. Uh, it's not popularity of the government. Yeah, it doesn't, it couldn't uh, or needn't have impact on popularity, but the legitimacy, it's something a little bit different. Well, I'm not sure if I answered uh, all your question, but... I think that was perfect. Ah. Absolutely perfect. I was just thinking, these rituals, these ceremonies, you mention it in your paper, they become part of the cultural memory. Noting that I'm English, in the last year, we've gone through the death of a monarch, the funeral of a monarch, and the new monarch. And I'm very aware that that is now part of the British cultural memory. Um, but the cultural memory creates us and binds us, but it also divides us from other people. It makes an us and a them. How should we address this challenge or should we just accept it as part of life? Well, it's also a little bit more complicated. I think that uh, if we do research, which uh, lead to description of some national myths, including some foundation myths. Of course, we can say that it could somehow destabilize our modern nations. On the contrary, I believe that it can show us that the collective memory of individual modern European nations was created on the basis of the same matrices and principles. And perhaps it could also show us that uh, building a collective identity on feelings of fear or disregard for others is a road to hell. They're the very roots of the narratives that create a sense of belonging 
among so-called medieval nations are in many ways identical across European culture. Yeah. A sense of us, we, is of course created firstly on the basis of perception of the same, such as language, tradition, customs, myths, and others. Uh, and secondly, on the basis of perceived difference between us and them, as you already said. But if we think about European civilization as a, as a whole, uh, we have uh, far more in common than we have different. And this does not mean that we should not also cultivate the diversity of local communities. Uh, but in principle, it is the principle of multiplicity in unity already described by ancient philosophers. And I think that we as Europeans should reflect on this principle in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, uh, if, we, if we are speaking about rituals in medieval period, if we are speaking about kings, yeah, well, an idle ruler and so on. So, as I have already said, social cohesion in uh, the era of uh, modern nationalism was created through a strong group identity based on the negation of foreign or other. But this is the problem with modern nationalism. It is not a problem of uh, the principles of medieval rule, because the medieval ruler, if he was to be an idle ruler, he has to harmonize society as a whole, including the foreigners who came in. I can give you an example of this uh, in the development of Bohemian Kingdom in the 13th century. At the time, a large number of foreigners arrived in Bohemia and Moravia. And despite partial and local problems, thanks to the strong legitimacy of power of last Chemislid, society was harmonized. But at the same time, it should be stressed that the idol of Christian king was, of course, also connected with an active struggle against the infidels. Yeah. And this aspect of the medieval ruler ideal became obsolete uh, in the view of the globalized multicultural world. Yeah. But uh, I'm not arguing that the medieval ideal should be followed and fully implemented for today, of course. Rather, I am concerned with researching what is considered, perceived, and recognized as the ideal in which era. What gives government such legitimacy that it is possible for that government to carry the society in which it rules through periods of crisis. So I can define it for medieval society, maybe, and what is the plan to do research, comparison with ancient, uh, with Renaissance, uh, with modern society, and to compare how this model, how these uh, criteria for the idol ruler uh, in medieval world, how they could be compared, and if there are some additions for each era. Yeah. But the thing is, not to describe who was the best, but uh, what I'm looking for uh, are the patterns. That must be really, 
really interesting and difficult. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind this? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, thank you for this question of inspiration. I think it can explain much more than I said until now. But, well, if I should go to talk about the inspiration, I have to take it uh, with a little bit of a broader perspective. Only a little bit. Because at the beginning of these attempts to find the generally shared ideal of just and legitimate rule was, in fact, was my PhD thesis. And in that, I dealt uh, with a standard topic in political history, examining the foreign policy and diplomacy of Bohemian and Polish King Wenceslav II. Yeah. And part of this thesis included a chapter in which I tried to figure out what this ruler was really like, which of course was, was and is childish naive. Because medieval sources, especially narrative sources like the Chronicles, do not present to us uh, how things really were. They do not describe how things actually happened. They described how the authors wished for various reasons that events and characters be remembered. And official diplomatic sources such as charters are equally burdened with ideology and propaganda. The way to know a medieval ruler in my particular case, Wenceslav II, as man of flesh and blood was and is impossible. I know it now, but I didn't know it in that time. And his main uh, biographers, two monks of the Zbraslav Cistercian Monastery near Prague, let us in the chronicle, Chronika Aurle Regie, not an objective image of this monarch, but an image corresponding to the contemporary idea of a good ruler. When I recognize it, it led me to start looking into what can be known, not what we cannot know. We cannot know how he was and who he was, but we can know, at least in my uh, option, we can know this shared image of idea of idle ruler. So I focused uh, on this topic in subsequent research, as you already mentioned, the book of the idle ruler of Bohemian and Middle Ages. Uh, as an aside, my point was not that the idea of legitimate rule in Czech lands was different from the other parts of Christian medieval world. Yeah. Quite the opposite, I think I have succeeded in showing that medieval European civilization Czech lands not excluded, had a fairly clear, defined and shared ideal of just govern based on four cardinal virtues of antiquity and three Christian virtues. And these virtues were to be possessed by the medieval ruler as an institution of power. And he was to act and rule in accordance with these virtues. And the ruler ideal was just linked to a number of social roles, such as the role of the pious and merciful king and just and wise king, or the peacemaking king. And in my view, this was not just about literary images or literary topoi or cliches. On the contrary, the topoi here represent a shared value system, 
of medieval period. And I have come to believe that something deeper uh, is reflected in the literary tradition in this way. The tendency of culture to self-preserve uh, and reproduce itself. From this point, I'm thinking about this ideal of rule, ideal of government, like uh, one of keystone of the social stability. Something which can serve for overcoming the collapses. Yes, I could see that one. That makes a lot of sense. And those thoughts actually lead me quite neatly to what must be my last question. And I'd like to look again at this ritual and rulership. And I just wonder, as you have mentioned the modern world quite often, do you see many similarities between the rituals of legitimizing a medieval ruler and the rituals which legitimize a current political ruler? What do you think the aims of the current rituals are? Well, uh, of course, I can see a lot of of it. Uh, every step of the way, government and power must always be visualized. Yeah? And uh, the similarity can be seen, for example, in the welcoming of delegations during uh, interstate visits, for example, in the ceremonial taking over of government positions, etc., etc. And by the way, uh, the Czech Republic uh, has one such specificity. In our modern history, after 1989, the election of the president of Czech Republic, uh, well, it was of Czechoslovakia, but later of Czech Republic, this election is always accompanied by the public display of the crown of the Charles IV. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a very interesting synergy because we have this democratic system, but still the crown of Czech or Bohemian kings serves to purpose. Yeah. I, I did my own small research on it, and it's really so that um, in our modern history, uh, the crown of San Wenceslas still plays a very, very important role. And of course, it's also connected with the collective memory of Czechs. And it has to stress the position of today's politicians as well. Uh, and it's also visualized because uh, when our politicians who are on the top of the system, uh, when they are visiting the chamber with the crown, it's also in all medias on internet, Instagram, and also in traditional medias like TVs and so on. So uh, everyone can see it. They want to be a part of our very famous history. And Charles IV is the best Czech ever. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it all plays somehow together. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Having read your interesting paper on Adventus Regis with the king arriving at the town, I could just feel those echoes, whether it's a prime minister, a president arriving at the airport with someone important meeting him, or the new King Charles in the UK going to each of the separate states of the UK and being seen, going yeah. out and shaking hands. 
Yeah, and that's sh- what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But sh- you know, in UK you have king. <laughs> we, we have we, we have president, so it's yeah. You know, but- this uh, monarchical rituals uh, doesn't fit so so well in our situation, but they are still used. Yes, absolutely. They're interesting points. And I think the more I learn about the medieval world, the more I'm struck by the fact that so much of what happened then echoes, continues in our modern world now. It's just a fascinating point. And unfortunately, it's where we're going to have to leave this fascinating discussion as we have run out of time. Robert, Thank you so much for sharing your research into rituals, rulers, and social cohesion in the Middle Ages. Karan, uh, thank you for having me here. It was my pleasure to be here. Yeah. It was absolutely fascinating. Thank you. And my thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you found it as interesting, as enjoyable, and as informative as I did. Please do look out for the next MISEM podcast in which MISEM members talk about their recent, current, ongoing research into medieval Central Europe. And if you have research that you think other MISEM members would like to hear about and you would like to talk about, please do contact me through the MISEM board or website administrator. I'm Karen Culver for the MISEM podcast. Thank you and goodbye until the next time. 